And now, another Oprah and Friends exclusive. You have heard her on Oprah's Soul Series. It takes a fearless spirit to live in the mystery. Now it's your turn to talk to spiritual adventurer and author Elizabeth Lesser. Or your questions and comments on a new earth, please call 866-OPRA-XM now. That's 866-OPRA-XM, 866-677-2496. Now, live on Oprah and Friends, it's Elizabeth Lesser. Welcome. Welcome to Oprah and Friends on XM Radio. This is a special companion radio program following Oprah and Eckhart Tolle's online classroom that we just heard. Some of you were listening on XM Radio to it, and uh, it happens every Monday evening on Oprah.com. And if you're just tuning in and you missed the New Earth webcast or radio show, don't worry. You can go to Oprah.com and watch this week's class and the three previous ones right there on the website, or you can download it and you can listen to it right here on XM Radio. Millions of people around the world are tuning in each week for this unprecedented event. It's, it's the largest classroom on earth. And how great is it that this enormous classroom, this international classroom, is organizing around a topic as important as how do we make the world more peaceful, more beautiful, more sane by changing ourselves? How do we work on ourselves, not just so we get happy and get more stuff, but so that we actually change the world? And it's so hopeful to me that so many have been moved by Eckhart Tolle's book, A New Earth, and that Oprah had the wisdom to choose this book and to build this community around it. You know, she's picked, I think, 61 books over the years for her club, but none of them have struck a chord like this one. Millions of people are watching this webcast. I think 5 million people have bought the book. So thank you for being part of this community. Thank you for joining in. Tonight during the class, uh, people were calling in and Skyping in from around the world. There was a caller from Russia, Sweden, Trinidad, all over the U.S., and now you have a chance. This one's for you, this XM radio show, for this next hour. You have a chance to call in and speak to me, Elizabeth Lesser, your host for this special New Earth After Show. So call me at 866-OPRA-XM. That's 866-677-2496. So I've been working hand-in-hand with Oprah and Eckhart devising this curriculum for everyone uh, since it started a few weeks ago. And Oprah asked me to do it because it's something I've been doing for 30 years, creating curriculum that awaken the best in the human spirit. And I've been doing that at the organization I helped found called Omega Institute, which is a holistic learning center in upstate New York. And we also offer conferences in cities all over the country. And uh, we've been doing these in medicine, in spirituality, in peak performance, in sports, arts, creativity, trying to help people do what Eckhart's book is also doing, help people become more fully alive and really show up in this precious opportunity we have our lives. So I'm looking forward to hearing from you tonight about Chapter 4 or anything in the book 
that may be puzzling you or waking you up or concepts that you may understand intellectually, but you want to know, how do I actually put these into practice in my everyday life? And uh, if you haven't been reading the book and you wonder what I'm talking about, um, listen to this clip right now um, that is uh, something Eckhart said tonight that really, to me, encapsulated what the whole book is about. First, there is the ego self-esteem, which is really hidden fear underneath it. It's always there to compensate for that fear that you feel of not being good enough, of perhaps failing. So you need to play a role of being big to compensate for the fear of failure that's deep down. The world would say he or she has high self-esteem if the people who have big egos, but the world doesn't realize that that's not true self-esteem. True self-esteem goes much deeper. It's finding the source of power and aliveness deep inside, realizing that within the depths of your being there is that continuous source of intense aliveness and power. We spend so much time in our life looking for that sense of aliveness, that sense of power and purpose and meaning outside of ourself. We think it's somewhere else. And what this book not only describes but gives us tools to do is to find the power within ourselves first to look for it there, not to blame the world for not having it, but to uncover it in ourselves. Chapter 4, which is what we were exploring tonight on the webcast, is called Playing Roles, How the Ego Likes to Play Roles. And this is what Eckhart Tolle says about playing roles on page 90, if you're following along with your book. He says, what really matters is not what function you fulfill in this world, but whether you identify with your function to such an extent that it takes you over and it becomes the role that you play. When you play roles, you're unconscious. When you catch yourself playing a role, that recognition creates a space between you and the role. So we all play roles. Human beings have jobs and families. There's things we have to do. We got to get up in the morning and raise our family and go to work. These are roles we play. But but the core of chapter four is when Eckhart says we are human beings. We are human, but we also are beings. And he shows how the purpose of life is not just to be a human, to have a role, but it's also to constantly tap into that part of ourself that is being. Our humanness demands that we have this form and we fulfill certain purposes, but we also have this formless, deep self inside of us. And if we only relate to who we are in the world, if we get too attached to that, we lose touch with our deep, powerful inner self. Eckert this evening brought up an example of what happens when you go to a doctor's office and that person is so invested in his role and then you become the patient and then you really don't have a human interaction. He says that authentic human interactions are impossible when two people are playing roles. Let's listen to that clip uh, about being at a doctor's office who's playing a role. You mentioned in the book where, where you play the role of patient, 
And if you go to a doctor who's playing the role of doctor, he often doesn't see you, the person, because he's playing the role. Yes, he has become so identified with his function that the function has taken him over and he has become a role. So, and many patients can actually feel that when they go to a doctor, whether there's a human being still there Mm -hmm. or whether the doctor has become a role. Absolutely. And so when the doctor has become a role, the, the, when you go to that doctor, you don't feel acknowledged anymore in your Absolutely. beingness. You feel he might be very competent as a doctor, I know. but something vital is lacking in the interaction when you see a doctor. He might be the greatest expert in his field. It still doesn't help. Yes. Something very vital is missing. And everybody... And you feel completely... That happened to me recently, where you feel completely dismissed and disconnected. Because he, you're, you're, you're thinking he's just trying to get me out of here so he can get the next person in. Yes. Yeah. Now, if he does that to you, you can imagine what he does that to a normal person. Yeah. yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. usually people treat, treat, me, treat me pretty nice. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's not just doctors and patients who get trapped in roles. We all do it. If you're a mom or a dad, sometimes you're so trapped in the role of being a parent, you forget that that little person in front of you is actually a being who wants to relate to your being. So you get trapped in the role of child and parent or boss and employee, and you miss out on the great opportunity every day of just being humans together. That's what uh, the chapter's all about playing roles, being only human, and forgetting that we also are beings. Uh, There's a wonderful uh, African-American theologian. He was Martin Luther King's mentor. His name was Howard Thurman. I always wonder why more people don't read him. He really was one of America's great uh, spiritual teachers. He has a beautiful quote. He says, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and do that because what the world needs are people who have come alive. What the world needs are people who have come alive. You know, we go looking for our purpose in life and we think it means we're supposed to be something. We're supposed to do something special when what we really want to do is to feel that aliveness in us. And then whatever we do becomes our purpose. So if you're at home being a parent now or if you're at a job, you fully inhabit what you're doing and suddenly your life becomes full of purpose. Um, uh, Diane, uh, we have a question from Diane. Welcome to the show. Hello, my name is Diane. I'm from Long Beach, California. My question is about addiction. As a hypnotherapist, I see patients who want to stop smoking, gambling, or drinking. And my question is, does the pain body cause the addiction and the ego keeps the addiction thriving? And if so, what does the addiction give or do to the ego? So you you, um, are a therapist who works with people with addictions? That's your job? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. And your question is, say the question again. Does the pain body, I know I'm getting ahead of in the chapters, but does the pain body cause the addiction and the mm-hmm. ego keeps the addiction thriving? Well, um, let's just talk for a second about what 
an addiction is. Mm -hmm. And uh, then chime in if you'd like, because you know a lot about it from working with people. But um, earlier on in the book, Eckhart talks about uh, how the ego always identifies with having or not having. And basically, the ego always feels, I don't have enough. Mm -hmm. I need more. Yes. Whether that's more love, more aliveness, more things, more substance, it always wants more. And in its craving, in its needing. I like that word craving. Craving. Yeah. Nietzsche called it the God-shaped hole. There's a hole in all of us that really can only be filled. He called it God. Mm -hmm. Eckhart would call it presence. Yeah. Someone else would call it soul. Mm -hmm. And uh, instead of filling it with what can really feed it, which is our deepest core silent self, mm -hmm. we don't slow down enough. We're sort of afraid to slow down and look deep within. Mm -hmm. And so we start looking for other things to fill it. Mm -hmm. Substance abuse, relationships, too much work. Um, does that relate? Can you relate to that with some of your clients? Definitely, definitely. So, you know, it's, it's something that's uh, said often, that, that there's something missing. Yeah. There's a hole. There's, yes. Mm -hmm. Well, the hole can really only be, f be filled by what's already in us. I'm mm -hmm. sure, you know, you and other people, everyone who's listening has had this experience. You go and stand in front of a refrigerator, you're not really hungry. Definitely. You're just kind of standing there looking at it mm -hmm. like you want something. So in that moment, and I would imagine this might help you with your clients, mm -hmm. in that moment when, when you feel yourself craving something, it helps to stop, shut the refrigerator door, and sit down quietly mm -hmm. with yourself and feel where, the, where is that hole right now in your body. Mm -hmm. Eckhart talks about feeling the inner body and get in touch with that sense of craving, before filling it, before rushing to fill it, just feel the hunger. Allow yourself. People are very afraid to feel the hunger. It's, it, it feels like very anxiety-producing, and that's why they rush to fill it with a substance. So your question was, is it the ego that's driving the addiction? Yes, it is. The ego wants more and more the constant craving, like the Katie Lang song. And to understand that the only thing that can feel, fill that big hole is your own soul. And the work to do is the soul work. Oh, that's great. Did that wonderful. help? That wonderful, wonderful great. response. You Definitely. do such great work. Good luck with it. Thank you, dear. All right. Um, so so uh, we have on the phone another caller. Krista, welcome to the show. Good to hear from you. Hi, what, what, what do you want to talk about? Um, I actually wanted to share that I have had a very profound awakening uh, having read this book, and I find that I really want to share my experience with other people. And I guess my question is, how do I share the experience of reading this book and encourage others to read this book without it serving my ego? Um, you know, I know more than you. I've had this awakening. I've had this enlightenment. Uh, read the book because I know what you'll experience if you read it. Or, 
you know, my life could be better if my relationships with people were improved because they read the book. Mm-hmm. I guess I want to share the book so that others can have the awakening that I had if they're on the precipice of one. Um, but how do I do that without without making sure it doesn't serve my ego? Mm. Good for you for asking that question. Eckhart would say that's, you know, a sign that you are really awakening in your own awareness. Um, actually, he and Oprah talked about that tonight on the webcast um, because the question you asked is probably the number one question that people are calling in throughout mm-hmm. the world in different ways. Um, some people go as far as saying, my wife isn't into this, and I'm afraid that since I can't talk to her about it, our relationship have to end because I, I want to talk to her about this because this is the most important thing in my life. Exactly. And um, I've seen this happen in my own role uh, at Omega Institute where people will come to take workshops and their lives get so blown open, they go home and feel really disoriented. How do I relate to these people now? So um, what Eckhart said and what I agree with and will take off on is that, first of all, you cannot change anyone through talking and proselytizing. Uh, We all know this, and we know what it feels like. But the way we do uh, affect change in the world is by being the change. Gandhi said that, that um, be the change you want to see in the world. Be the awakening you want to see in your loved ones. The more you can strengthen the part of yourself that's awakening and be that in a very free and giving and loving and non-manipulative way. Um, Real miracles happen. You're with people who are acting in an insane manner. You begin to act more and more sane. It actually awakens their sanity. Um, It doesn't always happen like that. It's not, I don't mean to say that all you have to do is be it and magically your entire family is going to join you on this path. But you have, let's say, let's say you're struggling with your, your significant other, your romantic relationship, and he or she isn't understanding you. I'd say give it a full year of just <laughs> being the change before you start really trying to see, well, you know what, maybe, maybe I can't be with this person. I I know you're not necessarily asking that, but we're very impatient. Something feels great. We want the whole world to be like that. Um, It ends up actually doing great disservice to the work if it's making you anxious that the world isn't meeting you. Um, I just suggest more and more becoming so secure in yourself that you start to uh, affect the people around you in a very peaceful, non-aggressive way. Um, you want to ask anything else about this? Because this is an important question, and a lot of people have it. Um, yeah, I guess, I don't know if, I guess I keep thinking, well, kind of like you said, my significant other, uh, my husband is actually reading the book as we speak. Uh, I guess I'm concerned he, like Eckhart, is more of an intellectual mind, and my fear is that when he reads it, um, that's what he will take away from it, whereas 
you know, of course, I, I want him to have an awakening. And, and you know, like you said, the, the greatest thing that you said that helped me is that you can just be the change for those around you and, and hope that others take the journey. Is it okay to suggest perhaps to someone that you think might be on the precipice of something to suggest to them, I've read this book, I think it could really change your life. Is that serving my ego? Is it okay to present this book to others? Well, you've got two questions here, and both of them are great. The one is, can you suggest to someone who seems to be struggling and having a hard time, I've got a great book. Of course you can. That would be like somebody's hungry and you don't want to offer them a meal. I mean, of course you can. And then it's like planting a seed. If it grows, fantastic. If it doesn't, um, that's really up to that person to have watered that seed. But I think it's wonderful. That's in a way what Oprah has done with millions of people. She said, hey, people. This book has changed my life. Mm-hmm. I think it can help you. So it's really all in the way in which you offer it. Offer it as a gift. If it's taken, great. If not, yeah. you know. As in terms of of being with your husband, it's really um, it's really not going to help anybody for you to determine exactly how he metabolizes the information in this book. Mm-hmm. If if it's an intellectual strengthening for him. That's wonderful. That's that's his uh, path. And if you want to model how it can go into a deeper, more emotional, body-centered way, be that. And actually, he may have something to teach you in his sort of rigorous um, intellectual understanding. You may be able to learn some great things from him. So stay open to what he has to teach you, and hopefully that will model to him staying open to what you have to teach him. Thanks a lot for calling. Thank you so much. You know, um, that exchange just reminded me of uh, a joke someone told me the other day. Um, We were talking about this very subject, about how when people start to read or experience spiritual books like this and awakenings, you you can fall into the trap of thinking, I have the answer, and I'm superior spiritually. It's it's sometimes called spiritual materialism. But here, I wanted to I wanted to tell you this joke. It's um, a rabbi, a priest, and a and a, an imam. You know, a Muslim leader. They're praying near each other in the holy city of Jerusalem, and this imam is suddenly overcome with God's presence, and he he falls to his knees and he cries out, Allah. You are so grand. You are so much bigger than my ego. I am nobody in your presence. And the priest hears him, and he's just incredibly inspired. And he falls to his knees, and he says, Lord, in your presence, I am nobody. And then the rabbi can't believe how inspired he is by these two holy men. And he falls to the knee, his knees, and he says, Lord, God, Yahweh, I am nothing. I am nobody. So a street cleaner is uh, nearby, and he hears them, and he's so inspired. For the first time in his life, he understands how to let go of his ego. He understands what presence is, and he falls to his knees, and he says, Lord, I am nobody. And then the rabbi turns to the other two, and he says, look who thinks he's nobody. 
And we sometimes can fall into that trap. We begin to think we're so enlightened, we're superior to other people. If you feel that that starts to come up in your life, that's a great message that you've gotten off the track. This evening, Eckhart said something about if if you feel at any point superior or inferior to someone, you know that is your ego talking. You're listening to A New Earth After Show. Call me, please, at 866-OPRA-XM. And uh, Wiki is on the line. Welcome to the show. You have a question about the ego. Yes, I do. Thank you. Um, well, it's kind of a two-part question, but the uh, first question I have is, uh, is ego always a negative thing? And the second part of this is, um, is ego like one great big giant entity or is it made up of a lot of um, maybe what you could call sub-egos, if you will, that all come together to make one big ego? Okay, let, let's start with the first part. Um, is ego always negative? Is that what you asked? Yes. Um, I don't think of the ego as either negative or positive. It just is. We all got one. We all were born with one. I actually think it's it's almost like, you know, how gravity uh, holds the body together. Ego is a form of gravity. It sort of makes us into an entity. Mm-hmm. It's our individuality. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's probably an essential part of being a functioning person in the world. So we don't try to, like, get rid of this evil, bad enemy thing called ego. It's when we totally identify with it, when it's all we think we are, and we lose touch with our deeper, grand, eternal self, this part of us that is naturally at peace, naturally joyful because it fears nothing, because it knows it's part of everything. It's when our smaller self obscures that bigger self that it's a problem. So a a trick for dealing with the ego and when you begin to feel like you should get rid of it is to not take it so seriously. Just to know it's something you have. It's like a car you were given to drive through this journey of life. But it isn't you. It's something that's serving you to get through life. Um, So turning it into something you want to get rid of doesn't help. Understanding it's just part of who you are is what helps. Is the trick then to be able to stand outside of yourself and realize that uh, when we do certain things that this is uh, ego? Yes, that is... And the recognition then, uh, yeah... That is exactly the trick. You just hit on it. That was your aha moment here. Um, Eckhart gave a little practice this evening about um, being in touch with the ripples on this lake. That's your ego. All your thoughts, all your worries, your anxieties, the things you have to do. But under that rippling surface is this deep self. And to every now and then, tap into that deep self. 
When you feel the anxiety rising, take a breath. Feel into the part of you that actually can watch your thoughts, the witness part. Go deeper. And instead of hating your ego, you just smile about it, recognize it for what it is, and move on. Now, your other, your other question, I didn't really understand, and it might have been your mind just kind of wanting to get involved and make this a lot more complicated than it really is. Can you ask it again? Um, yes. Um, I'm, I'm just wondering when you speak of ego, and maybe this is just semantics, I don't know, but when you speak of ego, um, is ego just like one great big entity called ego, or are there a lot of little com- components that come together to make one big ego? Well, I think that's probably something that um, is complicating a much simpler issue here, um, which is anything that causes a sense of anxiety in you, that causes you to feel separate from other people, that causes you to feel inferior, angry, superior, those are all aspects of the ego. The ego has a lot of coping mechanisms. The ego has a lot of ways of showing up, but it's your ego, and you don't have to get into labeling all the different parts. Uh, Just know when you're feeling out of sorts, disconnected, anxious, afraid, that's the ego, and to try to find a way to tap into the witness part of you that's watching all those many parts That's the trick that you already realized yourself a few moments ago. So thanks a lot for calling in, and I hope that helped. Thank you so much. All right. So if you're tuning in right now um, for Marianne Williamson's Course in Miracles, hold tight. She's going to be with us in about 20 minutes. And I'm Elizabeth Lesser, and um, you are tuned into the after show for Eckhart Tolle and Oprah Winfrey's A New Earth webcast that happens on Oprah.com every Monday night. And actually, you can go at any point to Oprah.com and listen to past webcasts and the one that happened tonight. And I'm with you after that webcast every Monday, uh, doing an opportunity for you to call in with any questions you have about the webcast, about the book, uh, please call me at 866-OPRA-XM. I'd love to hear from you. Reagan is on the line. Thank you for calling a New Earth After Show. Um, sounds like you have some gossiping types of people in your life. Tell me about that. Well, I think, it's, I think gossiping is something a lot of us experience every day, whether it's at work or with friends, and it's so hard to kind of easily slip back into those patterns of wanting to hear what's going on and kind of fueling it. I mean, how can you you deal with that and not feel righteous? And do you just listen? Um, or do you say you don't want to hear it? Mm-hmm. Or um, what's the best way to deal with gossiping? I mean, sometimes you do feel like you want to hear it, but then other times you don't want to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, um, there's a difference between gossiping and just chatting about the fabulous variety of life. Sometimes people who are on a spiritual path, we can get so serious about things 
that we lose touch with just what it means to be friends and to talk about what's going on in in life. So it's important on this path not to take everything so to heart that you lose touch with, with just being yourself. That being said, once you begin to pay attention, though, to the way the ego craves negativity and likes to keep creating drama in relationships, we really do want it to stop because we begin to understand that the more negativity we spew out there in the world, the more we really become unhappy and, the, and spread unhappiness. So when I'm around people who are gossiping and in many ways um, doing great uh, injustice to other people who aren't in the room, actually hurting other people, um, I either do go silent, sometimes I'll even just pick myself up and leave, or I sometimes will interject Um, yeah, that person does do that sometimes, but don't you love the way she also does? And try to uplift the conversation without becoming sort of an obnoxious Pollyanna. But I do think that there is a, a real desire once we awaken to elevate conversations beyond the normal way that we tend to talk. There's a, there's a desire people have to drag drama into relationships. So I I really acknowledge what you're doing, trying to um, move things along. Um, Eckhart and Oprah talked this evening on the webcast about um, not exactly gossiping, but um, what happens when we confront a lot of different challenges and um, how we actually turn them into grist for our spiritual mill. Listen to this. Two things can happen when a challenging situation or challenging person comes into your life. Either the challenge drags you into old conditioned ego reactions. An angry person provokes an angry reaction in you. This means the other person or the situation drags you to their level of consciousness or unconsciousness. The other possibility is that any challenge wakes you up more. So you become more intensely present when there's a challenging situation. Just look at a very simple situation. You're sitting in a traffic jam, not moving, you have to get somewhere. So many people would go into negativity at that point. They get stressed, they get upset, the body gets tense. Perhaps a few minutes ago you were at home very still and present and it felt good. The moment the first challenge happens, it can drag you down into unconsciousness. But there's another possibility. You can be alert and recognize that situation as the first challenge of the day. And then you say, okay, here I can either go into a reaction or I can go into more presence. And suddenly you're in the same situation, nothing is moving, fumes, cars, and suddenly you become completely present. What I love about that, and it, and it can really answer the last caller about uh, gossiping, and it can answer anything that happens in our life, is that when a situation arises that we don't enjoy, we want to react against, it actually can be like um, a wake-up call. People start gossiping, and instead of thinking like, I don't really want to gossip, I'm not supposed to anymore, I don't like this, the gossip can actually be a stimulus 
to go into that still, warm, loving place within us and to radiate that out into the world. That way, every challenge that comes our way becomes almost like a temple bell ringing. And it says, wake up. Uh, Be your deeper self. Go into your stillness. Be the change you want to see in the world. You know, uh, this never comes up more, this sense of um, wanting to react against things when we're around our family. Have you noticed that? Eckhart uh, quotes Ramdas, the spiritual teacher Ramdas, in his book. He says, if you think you're enlightened, just go spend some time with your family. He, Eckhart says, the more shared past there is in a relationship, the more present you need to be. Otherwise, you will be forced to relive the past again and again. A good way to put what Eckhart Tolle and Oprah are talking about into practice in your own life is to see what happens the next time you're at a family gathering. Um, You know, maybe some of you just were over the Easter vacation or Passover's coming up or just a family reunion. It's amazing how being around parents or grown children, suddenly you all start playing these roles that you've given each other, you know, the youngest kid or the bossy older kid. And you might be 40 years old and suddenly you're home and you're you're acting like you've regressed to 10 years old. So the next time you're at a family gathering, use the stress of what usually happens around families to wake up, feel the the uncomfortableness of being put into a role and go into yourself and try to radiate within your family structure a different you, a new you, and see what happens within your family. We have Donna on the line. Thank you for calling, Donna. I understand you're seeking um, a balance between inner peace and the ego. You have a question about peace and the ego. Yes. um, I might be misunderstanding this, but in Chapter 1 he writes about our inherited dysfunction in the human mind. And in Chapter 4, he writes that peace, after all, is the end of the ego. So if I'm understanding this right, if our inherited dysfunction is the ego, how can we find peace if, if that's our dysfunction? It, there would be no end to it. Hmm. Can, can you um, ask that question around some specific difficulty you're having in your own daily life around ego and peace? Peace. Oh, I am. Search- I have always searched for peace in my life because I have always felt an inner turmoil uh, within myself, which I realize now is my ego, my the voice in my head. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he talks about um, you know finding peace is fi- is the end to the ego, but if this ego is a dysfunction in our human mind. We will never be rid of it because it is, it's an inherited dysfunction of our human mind. I mean, we won't find peace until we are out of this body. No, that's, that's not really what he's saying. And let me okay, see if I can, yeah, let me see if I can help you here and at any point chime in if it's not 
getting more clear? Because I think this is something that a lot of people struggle with. So you are voicing yeah. many people's question here. So don't feel that you're you're unique in not getting this. This is a little sure. a little uh, complicated. Yes. Uh, yes, it is. Um, the ego is not something that you have to kill off or die yourself before you find peace. All the peace you want, all the peace that you are craving and you say you have your whole life is already inside of you. It's there. You don't have to go anywhere else to find it. You don't have to die and you don't have to do violence to your ego. You need to figure out a way to quiet the voice in your head long enough to discover that deep well of peace that is already within you. The ego doesn't want you to do that. It's holding on to its story, its anxieties, its fears, so it can feel like it's unique in this world. But there are ways for you to calm it down and to quiet the voice in the head long enough for the part of you that is way grander than the ego and that will live long past the ego's demise. There are ways for you to do that that are gentle and kind and don't require your death or your ego's death. Um, have you been working with any of the uh, exercises uh, in the workbook on Oprah.com? Have, yes, have, I, I like the breathing exercise that he refers to. Also, I find it very easy to get in touch with uh, how they say the inner you when you are in nature. That is very easy to do. Anybody can do that. And so like what happens that. to you when you do one of those breathing exercises? Explain why you like it and what may happen. Because uh, it makes you aware. It, it brings you into the presence. I have always had a problem with living in the presence. I've always been hurrying to get to the next point. Mm-hmm. And so it does. It brings you right here, right now, and what you are doing at the moment. And when you are in that right here, right now, what you really are experiencing is you, your true self, your right. non-egoic self. And that right. self is united with all selves. It is um, the awareness, the witness that can actually watch your crazy mind, your monkey mind, as the Buddhists call it. And that's who you are. And in yeah. doing that, you're not doing anything to kill off the ego. You're just gently putting it to rest so that you can allow your true self to come through. It's like cleaning the lens of a lantern where there's a bright light inside and it's gotten covered over by anxieties and thoughts and plans Mm -hmm. and fears. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. So our dysfunction, am I understanding that right, though? Our dysfunction is the ego, but we can um, overcome it? Yes. The dysfunction is the misidentification of who you really are with the ego. So the ego itself isn't the dysfunction. It's identifying with the ego fully, completely. I understand that. 
So the more you identify with the present moment in whatever you're doing all day long, the less you are the dysfunction and you become the free soul, the uh, who you truly are. I think you yes. understand that. Yes. All Thank right. you. Thank you. Uh, on the webcast, we had a caller from Russia. His name was Dmitri. And Eckhart offers some very practical advice about dealing with stress at work. And maybe this will also help you, Donna, and everybody else. Listen to this. Bring in small, very brief moments of presence into your everyday life. I'll give you two or three examples. The phone rings. It wants to be answered. Let it ring two more times than is necessary before you answer it. The phone rings. Normally, you would... Pick it up. Pick it up, yeah. Let it ring twice and be present while it rings. Allow it to ring, but be there in your presence. Use it as a signal to tell you, be present now. Or you're at a computer, put a flower next to your computer, and occasionally (laughs) look away from the screen, look at the flower, and feel its aliveness inside you. Anything natural can bring you back into presence much more easily than things that are man-made. At work, find a moment, turn away from your desk or whatever it is, and feel the aliveness. One conscious breath in and out is a meditation. Mm. You don't have to wait for your meditation until you get home. Bring the meditation into the spaces, into your daily life as possible. Mm, that's such great advice. You know, you don't have to go and be a uh, monk in a monastery every single day. Every opportunity at work and home gives us opportunities to practice being present. You're listening to a New Earth After Show, and I'm taking your calls at 866-OPRA-XM. Nancy, welcome to the show. Are you there, Nancy? Well, apparently not. But Shelley, I think, is on the line. Shelley, are you there? I am. Great. Thanks for calling in. What so do you want to talk about? Well, I, I unfortunately wasn't able to get the broadcast tonight for some reason, but some of the things you've replayed tonight have certainly um, answered my question. Um, one of the concerns I have is that um, in in trying to be aware and not being ego-driven but conscious, especially at work, and are we being vulnerable to be taken advantage of by those who don't want to be awakened, don't want to be kind? They see, they see your kindness as a, as a weakness, as your calmness, as your willingness not to respond. Mm, that is an excellent question. And um, it's a real misconception, I think, um, we all have when doing this work. I remember um, when I first started um, meditating and trying to uh, move beyond the ego, uh, I I made a big mistake in thinking that um, if if I ever exerted myself and a sense of what was right or wrong, I was being in my ego, and I did let people walk all over me. And um, it's a misconception that just because you are not reacting to the ego in someone else 
that you then let them walk all over you. Um, mm -hmm. If you wouldn't mind, give me a little example of something that's gone on recently that's caused you some pause in, in, in this, that's brought up this fear that perhaps you're being taken advantage of. Um, okay. Um, in a business I work in, it's a predominantly male-dominated business. Um, and when I interact with other companies, I'm one of the few women they would talk to. And if I and they, they can be very harsh and abrupt because that's kind of the business. And when I try to bring that calmness and not respond, the reaction is one of one of hostility and abruptness. That's what they want in response to mix with them. Mm. You know, um, you are bringing up something that's so profound. And so many women who are going into male-dominated businesses are struggling with this because mm -hmm. businesses have been created to uh, serve a specific type of person. And then mm -hmm. when women have come into the workforce, a little more emotional, a little more wanting contact in a in a little more intimacy, a little more let's slow down and talk about it. It's been met with a lot of resistance. I experienced this myself so much in my own business, really not being able to know how to communicate with uh, the good old boys, the boys club. It's a real challenge, but I just want to tell you what you're doing and what you're trying to do is for the world there has to be a new energy brought into many workplaces. And I want you to feel when you're struggling with it that you're not alone and that you're doing important work. Feel that wind in your sails that what you're doing isn't just you trying to get your way. You're doing some work right now that the whole world needs to bring into corporate the corporate world, a more humane way of doing it. So that's the first thing that might help you to know that you've got many people behind you doing the same thing. One thing that I've found helpful is that when things are coming fast and furious at work and I want to slow things down and I'm not sure and, I'm be and I feel like I'm being pushed into acting a way I don't want to, I've trained myself now to say, you know what, I don't know. I'll have to get back to you about that. Or, excuse me a moment, I just need to collect my thoughts to feel that you have a perfect right to do that. And then when you do do it, to take a deep breath, to feel that aliveness that Eckhart talks about in your body, to ground yourself, and not to be afraid that people are going to think you're a total whack case, and to start practicing with some real integrity and courage what's being talked about in the book. Um, also know that you can um, make a mistake, you can do it poorly, and then go home, think about what you did, and come back strengthened, and know that you are doing something really important for you. And you can say no, you can be strong, you can have an opinion. It's just the way that you, in which you do it. You don't have to let people walk all over you, but if you can make your case in a different way, in a more peaceful and loving way, you'll be doing us all a big favor. Thanks for calling in. We have uh, time for one more question. Kim Ali, 
Welcome to a new Earth After Show on Oprah and Friends Radio. You got a great question that I know a lot of people have to deal with in their daily life. What is it? Well, my question is, how do we maintain our calm when dealing with a pathological ego that constantly punches your buttons and causes reactions? I mean... How do you, how do you on a day-in, day-out basis deal with this type of person? Which mm-hmm. is kind of, kind of similar in a way to what you were talking about on the last question within the workforce, but I'm talking about in a personal, in a family situation. Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that question because there is a difference between just dealing with kind of aggressive, difficult people at work that you're going to slowly, hopefully through your own modeling, change the whole field in which you're working together. There's a difference between that and being with someone who is pathologically difficult and maybe destructive and even dangerous. Very Um, much so. The more you can be really present in the moment with a pathological person, it allows you to make a wise decision about whether you actually should be in relationship with this person anymore. This is a very key point in the work. People think, well, if I'm present with this person, I'm just enabling them. But actually, what enables a person who's pathological is you trying to, like, fix them or scuttle around them so maybe they won't act like that, all the enabling things that people who are in abusive relationships do. If you can really, truly feel all the way in your body exactly what this person is doing and not, um, like, disassociate or try to make better, or try to change what's going on, and really, really feel it, and do this over and over in yourself. You come into reality. You come to see who this person really is. And there is nothing anywhere in this work that says, if you're around a pathological person, you have to stay there. That someone with an enlightened ego would stay in it and make it right. You can leave a bad relationship with a destructive person. That is something that actually a wise person would do, but you're not going to know if you should do that unless you actually stay present when it's happening. What do you think about that? Well, can I kind of give you an example? Because I did do this. Some 30 years ago, I left this so-called relationship. This is my mother I'm referring to. And I left this relationship and got totally away from it. But I have recently, in the last three years, come back to it because she has, she's 83 and has no one to take care of her. But this woman, I, I absolutely, and so many times have referred to her as evil or being Satan's wife because this woman could absolutely she does. She destroys everything in her pathway. Well, but it's hard to know what to mm-hmm. do since I'm taking care of her. I mean, I I so want to because I so want to just pack up and just leave her and mm-hmm. say, 
you know, deal with it on your own. Well, of course, you can't now because you are taking care of her. So mm-hmm. you have a really uh, difficult yet amazing spiritual path in front of you. It's not going to go on forever. Right. And this is an opportunity for you to figure out and to awaken through the very difficult job of caring for someone who is your mother and all the behavior that you're saying she does. If you can um, find that deep place within you to go to and uh, be that person, be your higher self around your mother as much as possible, model to her the way you would like her to be, and not try to force her to change, but also take care of yourself, and just tell yourself over and over, God's given me this as my spiritual path. I'm going to use it to awaken and be that way until her time comes, and perhaps if she doesn't change, I bet you will change through it. So thanks for calling very much. Um, we're going to be wrapping up now. Coming our way is um, Marianne Williamson, who's going to be doing her um, scheduled radio show, A Course in Miracles. And I'm Elizabeth Lesser, and you've been listening to Oprah and Friends' um, after show for A New Earth. I wanted to um, end with a spring story that I heard. I just think it's beautiful. It's the story of uh, the great writer Goethe, the poet. And uh, there, well, I guess I'll have to tell you it next week because we're, we're leaving now. And I hope you join me again. It's been wonderful being with you. Thanks for your questions. And uh, enjoy this first beautiful week of spring. You've been listening to Elizabeth Lesser on A New Earth, Awakening to Your Life's Purpose, an Oprah and Friends exclusive. Be sure to join us every Monday at 9 p.m. in the East for a new live on-air worldwide classroom with Oprah and spiritual teacher Eckhart Tolle. To register for the web event and for more information on A New Earth, go to Oprah.com.